Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me once again is Pete. Hello, Pete. You're in total control. You're responsible for all of this. I blame you, Matt. Jessica Jones, episode 113, the season one finale, a.k.a. Smile, is brought to you by the yacht that smiles back, Goldfish. Well, that Pete, let's jump on right into this, the final podcast for 2015 for Fantastic Geek, although there is more Jessica Jones podcasting to come. That's for a later discussion. Right now, it's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode? We begin with a voiceover as Jessica brings Luke to the hospital here, talking about how pain is always a surprise. She tries to avoid landmines, tries to avoid caring, and uh, she's explaining to them there that he hit his head, which quickly it becomes clear was a little bit more than that. But she can see pain coming, Matt. And uh, until it hits, you have no idea what pain is. Pete, the headline here, Luke Cage not dead. What? Crazy stuff. Couldn't have seen that coming, except for the fact that, of course, everybody saw that coming. Uh, So I kind of like that they don't belabor the point. How would Um, they do a show if he was dead? Uh, Pete, it would be a prequel, okay? They did they did uh, three Star Wars movies uh, with the guy before Darth Vader. That's all you have to do. It's Luke back in back back in the late nineteen eighties. Also with a Luke. Uh, wow, uh, it, you know it is all connected. And Pete, perfect segue. Speaking of it all being connected, Pete, isn't that what's her name from the Rent movie? It's Claire the nurse from Daredevil. Yeah, I like that in the first. Well, let me let me say this, Pete. In my spoiler-free existence, I I know that we are we are many days. What, uh, forty-one days or so since uh, this show first hit Netflix, since our first Daredevil podcast. So the fact that uh, Claire, the night nurse, uh, had uh, had a presence in this episode was certainly uh, well known. Um, even very to me. poorly kept secret. It was. Out actually all in the media before the show was even finished to my knowledge they put it out there that she would be a part of the cast and even in this uh credit sequence in this episode there was uh rosario dawson's name oh she was credited like yes oh wow okay well you know i think that's only fair (laughs) considering she's a credited member of an of another show um, I, I, I don't know if that's, um, um, actor, I'll say vanity, but I don't mean that in a mean way. If that's the actor saying, you know, I deserve the credit sequence or if that's a money thing or both. I mean, certainly she's, she's a welcome presence, but Pete, I like that her first introduction is just a quick cut, clearly meant to say to you, whether you know, she's going to be in it or not, you're supposed to go, wait, is that, is that from the, oh no, I guess it mustn't have been because now we're back with Jessica seeing the guy nurse and and uh you know how the two needles can't puncture luke's vein and then claire gets involved um although not before being ready to move on pete but you know pulled back in because she's sympathetic to the plight of these powered people yeah he's uh he's one of them 
certainly loaded words indeed. Um, Jessica saying to Claire once the uh, the other medical staff clear out, I know we scare you and you've never seen anything like us. Of course, Claire's response, uh, you're not my first. And uh, she's quickly there doing doing the right thing, as we've seen her off to do on that other show. She's now helping get Luke out of the building. Yes. And uh, as the escape attempt moves through the hospital, um, I found it a little at least unbelievable at first that we get the phone call at the desk. Oh, Jessica Jones, you have to take this this phone call until we get the security camera angle. But the stakes are clearly raised and Kilgrave can now control people over the phone. I would agree that she has an odd urgency um, that, that uh, phone nurse for lack of, you know, we have Ellie, the phone nurse, Ellie, the phone nurse. There you go. Um, I kind of read it as the show wants you to think, it's his powers, but it doesn't have to be because he might be saying, you know, this is George and security. Get the, I, I'm, get that woman right now. There's an important whatever. Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's not. It, it can be both and it can be neither um, because we know his powers are on the increase. Um, but I like that reveal that he's he's there in the security center kind of watching over everything. I mean, if, perhaps the most killgraveable room in the hospital is the security center where he can see all. Yeah, and what comes in the next couple minutes after um, Claire's given uh, Jessica's card to take her to her office, to her home address, because uh, Claire has lost her lease. <laughs> something we saw happen uh, via Daredevil um, when she treated uh, Matt Murdock back at her place and everything that went on there. And then she had to uh, go to a friend's, you know, to take care of the cat and all. Um, But to come and, uh, you know, have this discussion over the phone here was a little unclear about, you know, she's on the phone first and then we see the cord stretched around and then the phone is in the door handle and suddenly she's continuing the phone call on her cell phone. Pete, you're telling me that on your wired work phone, you can't instantly and magically transfer it to your personal cell phone. That's not part of the, your employer's kind of, uh, you know, technological ecosystem. Listen, I, I have a certain telecom. I'm waiting for them to come today. Uh, and that's going to be my first question, but I'm pretty sure they're going to look at me like I have lobsters crawling out of my ears. (sighs) Well, Pete, uh, to paraphrase the episode, if that's what you're complaining about as a guy who has skin too tough to take a needle, then Well, I guess it still is a fair complaint. But Jessica has done this little ruse to get to the security center. However, really nice, again, efficient narrative uh, use here. He's not there. She sees a man running on video. They don't need to do close-up then, you know, close-up of of the TV screen. Then cut to Kilgrave actually running in the hall. It's just understood she sees him running. Uh, A cop is suddenly after her shooting Security guard there. Wait, that was a, wait, wait, wait. I, I'm not disagreeing, Pete. Dressed differently. Okay, so you're telling me just, and maybe I'm ignorant here. You're telling me that big city hospitals have security guards with guns. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
that is news to me. I'm not, I'm, again, I'm not disagreeing. I think it is interesting to see uh, here and then later in the episode, uh, given all the discussions uh, going on in the real world, here we have uh, a, an officer of, of the law, an officer of, of at least uh, security. Here we are quick to shoot. Um, however, it is the Kilgrave effect here. And Pete, um, I didn't know that hospitals also have uh, giant flat screen TVs built at a 90 degree angle from their <laughs> patients. So you can have the TV screen and the patient and the actress on the same shot. But this is a fictional universe. And uh, then we get Pete, the old beep, boo, all call. And what's the message? I really love this. Uh, paging all uh, personnel, visitors, the whining, the wounded, and the dying. <laughs> uh, dangerous virus has spread throughout the building, which I thought was interesting given that he's the virus. Um, and they're instructed to uh, check out their closest video screen where, of course, he's got the pictures that Jessica has sent of herself. And uh, she she's adamant he can't control everybody in the hospital. But then again, he is going to explain that she is patient zero, that her poison will destroy all of you unless you kill her. Uh, which was great. And the lady, the little old lady in the room there uh, throws <laughs> her, uh, I think it was her, uh, her little water uh, pitcher. And then uh, Jessica doesn't want her to break a hip. So she pins her down. Doctor comes into the room, quickly punches him and takes the uh, medical uh, scrub cap and the mask. And suddenly Everybody in the hospital is looking for Jessica. Um, again, stakes really raised. Yeah, it's an effective scene there where there's just this myriad of doctors, nurses, and the patients. And great kind of use there on the main patient who kind of uh, figures out that it's Jessica. Uh, you know, how well, are you going to sell this, it quickly? You know, uh, Jessica's like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to find this uh, Jessica Jones, huh? <laughs> It's 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 a great scene, as is, you know, it's a reminder that despite the fact, oh, no, here we are in a hospital with a with a whole bunch of kind of, you know, mindless zombies. No, this is not The Walking Dead. These are all thinking people just acting under orders. So, of course, you kind of would look and go, wait, you kind of look like the per and wait, why would you have a mask up? Like, this is a thinking person here who uh, who quickly quickly uh unmasks our heroine pete a quick scuffle later jessica's almost out of there but uh a scalpel slice to the leg then she's finally out of there and pete the story moves to jessica's apartment yes where claire is uh icing luke down the discussion before was that they were going to control the swelling um with oral medication and what do you know his Hand starts to twitch, but Matt, this is not the good twitch. No, and in that seizure or shock, uh, Claire's figured out, hey, super strong skin, the solution is to go through the optic nerve, and oh my goodness, she's putting a thing in his eyeball. We see the fleshy eye bit area, and what we don't see of it, it's still just as awful, and it's just... Because I, I don't like eye stuff. Flare though at the beginning of this scene she straddles Luke and then Jessica comes in and says what the hell are you doing <laughs> yeah it's always 
there's always a little something on Jesse's mind there, but the good news, Pete, is that she drains his cerebral spinal fluid, and I don't know how much there is, but that was a lot. And I will grant you if it's if that's medically accurate, okay. If that's not medically accurate, hey, welcome to TV. This is not extant where we're going to show things that look goofy and then say, science, science. Um, if they wanted to drain out that ridiculous amount that looked like half a pint, um, it wasn't okay. half a pint. <laughs> that was a it was, thick. That it was most of a syringe. It was not half a pint. <laughs> it was most of a syringe that is probably an inch in diameter. There's not a pint in a syringe. <laughs> I, you know what, Pete? When we're done here, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look. Um, and, and we'll just say to be continued something for the uh, the season one wrap up. I bet you it was. Uh, I don't know. I bet you it was more than you think. It was not half a pint. How about a juice box amount of cerebral spinal fluid taken out through Luke Cage's optic nerve? Still not half a pint. Fair enough. But Pete, back to the story where now it's just a game, a waiting game. Uh, with that, Claire wants to look at Jessica's cut and uh, some kind of fun repartee between two independent, strong gals, you know with uh, the lowering of the pants, etc. Um, kudos to the show that they don't show Jessica with her pants off. I mean, I think we've seen that before in moments of intimacy, or uh, whether it's emotional or physical, and that is neither of these things. So we can just kind of get the, hey, you know, we all have to take our pants down for the doctor or the nurse sometimes. <laughs> so it's all good. And that pretty serious slice... Um, it leads to some exposition spelling out Luke's brainwashing by Kilgrave, just in case everybody at home needs an update. The shot from behind the desk of the pants dropping is sufficient enough. Discussion here about Kilgrave's uh, lousy name, Snuff Carcass, uh, might have been too over the top here. They're going to get uh, Jessica taken care of without stitches. <laughs> And all of this discussion leads to Claire talking about how she had or has a friend like you and Luke uh, bleeding and unconscious more often than not. And uh, that he makes life hard for the bad guys. But much like Jessica, how does he know he's the good guy? He doesn't. He questions every move he makes, every thought he has. There is also the the offer there by Claire that she could call her friend, but Nas says, Jessica, I've got to do this myself. Yeah, he, we've only seen the three defenders together at the greatest Comic-Con, at New York Comic-Con, on the stage with Marvel head of television Jeff Loeb for 30 seconds. <laughs> um, That's why of, you go. You can't even see it on Netflix, Matt. You can't even, not yet. Not yet, not yet. Uh, a bit evocative of one of the x mans movies where, uh, you know, are we ready for, for somebody else to come to the fight? No, not yet. And we can kind of anticipate in the future. With that, Pete, we go from Jessica's cut to a cut to Kilgrave, who wants the rest of Dad's potion. Uh, what are the odds of it working? 40% chance of him uh, getting his powers boosted. 60% chance of it killing him. Dad, of course, wanting the latter. And uh, an interesting response there from Kilgrave. Uh, I think it was words to the effect of, you know, uh, 
I, I want that too. And, and I think you could read it more of, uh, yes. Could you read it that I, I want to die too? I want that greater 60% is, is his pain that bad? You could, but I think it was flipping it around. Like I want you to die too, dad. But there's this pacing around, uh, there's the, this is the debate portion of the episode where Kilgrave is talking to himself. He wants to see Jessica look helpless, then uh, he's going to reject her, devastate her, uh, watch her wither away like someone from thirst or starvation. Um, well, no, maybe I'll just kill her. And then he goes into. uh to get the experiment started it's a monologue which the show delivers unironically he's such an arrogant man of course he's going to talk to himself and and go through these options it in no way is is evocative of uh you know the incredibles oh you got me monologuing it's just it this is the character he's earned the ability to do this after 13 episodes and still feel like he's part of the the real world and also, Pete, we have there just the height of his masculine arrogance. What is the greatest torture? It's telling the same girl no repeatedly. Yeah, and, you know, guilt being the, the thematic linchpin of this episode, the earlier discussion with Claire, the later discussion with uh, Hogarth, there's such a complete lack of guilt on Kilgrave's behalf and just the callousness and the carelessness with other people. It, it stands in such sharp contrast at this point in the episode. With that, there's an interesting pacing decision and I'm not agreeing with it or disagreeing with it. Um, he's kind of mid action, mid scene. Okay. Let's, let's do the upgrade or, or the, the final upgrade. Uh, we now then cut to Jessica talking to Luke. He being unconscious, it's kind of another monologue of sorts. Uh, she imagines doing normal stuff with him, going on a date, having a possible future Bowling. together. What's that? Bowling. Pete, is there anything more normal than going out on a date to do the bowling? Not really. Uh, she says, you're also the first person I ever shot in the head. Love that the show continues to have this uh, this humorous edge to it. Um, she says that if he wakes up, she won't be around to screw up his life anymore because she might be dead, but maybe Kilgrave will be too. And even unconscious as they get the phone working there, he is still helping her. Back to Kilgrave's apartment we go for the rest of that scene. The, uh, the gentleman of the house watches uh, Albert injects painfully the serum into Kilgrave's neck and Pete, I don't know about you. I kind of felt that there was a slight return to the the paternal and the childlike here. Yeah. Um, okay. And I don't know how they did it because this is. Well, they how... did it by having the actor uh, assume the same position as the child actor. <laughs> uh, there, maybe that maybe that's what it is, Pete. Calling back, calling back to the shot there. Um, but regardless, as as the injection is completed, he cries out in pain. There's the purple veins there. Certainly a nice use, Pete, of the, uh, the the return of the purple man, if you will. Yeah, the purple veins as uh, he's taking this stuff in and, and the scream. Uh, really, really effective. 
We cut to Jessica's apartment, and uh, it appears that Kilgrave called from Justin Bowman's phone. Bowden. Uh, Bowden, indeed, a stockbroker type. Uh, Claire is ready to leave, but Jessica asks Claire to stay. And Claire, the sympathetic type uh, for all these uh, Marvel shows, I think she's going to stay and hang around, Pete. Yeah, and yeah, there's the rationalization that there's other nurses and and things like that. But they've had this connection here, and uh, Claire helps her out as she's leaving. Jessica calls Trish and tells her to pick her up outside. Really, really effective scene here. Jessica is clearly ready to kind of give her last words to Trish just in case. Uh, Trish spills the IGH connection, uh, which mm-hmm. may have given Jessica her powers. And I had to take a quick look at the uh, at the timer for the episode, Pete, with a half hour left. Really starting to get the impression, at least on first viewing, that uh, this is a thread that we're going to save for a potential second season, uh, which indeed Spoiler alert does become the case because, uh, to my surprise, they don't do uh, just anything with it for the rest of this uh, episode and season. Well, no following up on Simpson, uh, no more reds or blues or whites, no Kozlov. Certainly something we can discuss a little bit more during our cryptology segment. Indeed. And Trish is told to stay in the car, but... Pete, they need that secret code word to show that Jessica hasn't been killgraved. Like I think, sardines or pickle juice. Because, <laughs> yes, those those two are, are words that Kilgrave would probably not have you say. But, Pete, the answer, I think that we, the audience, can see it coming from, from a mile away. But it's lovely anyway, Jessica saying, I love you to Trish. Yeah, it, it's a nice moment and brought more fully around in the latter half of the episode up to apartment 22a jessica walks into that sumptuous estate of uh justin bowden and boyfriend slash spouse whatever pete it's all good uh the latter of it's which, not all good because well that's dead from self-inflicted drano well i just meant that that the cohabitation of uh, of Justin and boyfriend slash spouse that's all good, but Didn't they but good. they don't live together no more. <laughs> that's true. That is very true. Um, as you said, the old uh, drain cleaner injection having been uh, been the Kilgrave effect here. Great, great use of a low camera pointing at the floor, almost to the to the extreme, but but they don't cross that line. Uh, it shows us, you know, kind of in, in a horrific reveal, the dad's arms have been hacksawed off. Armless Albert. Wow. How alliterative of you, Pete. Uh, at the garbage dispenser is, uh, Justin trying to get the arm down the drain. Uh, he just has to get dad wiped off the face of the earth. And and then kill themselves, which begs the question, why did the boyfriend slash spouse kill himself already? He could have gotten, it could have been you kill yourself, yeah. you wipe dad off the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the answer too might be, Pete, it's a better reveal the way they did it. Um, Jessica gets a family picture off dead dad, but Pete, he's not dead. Well, not dead enough to, you know, he just has to let Jessica know Kilgrave is more powerful. Then he dies. I call teensy weensy story baloney here. Um you would have 
been continuing to bleed to death with two arms uh, chopped off. I'm I'm rather sure of that. Yeah, but I think the idea that they give us the picture, you know, you're not going to enter at the final episode of a season. Oh, that's why. But um, I think the motivation made sense. <laughs> True. The Pete, sometimes in a story, the heart can overcome the mind. Um, and speaking of the heart, Jessica calls Trish, come on up to the penthouse. Uh, however, the story goes back to Jessica's apartment where Claire moves around the apartment taking a call from work. And as soon as she blocked that broken door, I was worried for her. But the reveal instead is uh, is the all-heart emotional center of the series, Malcolm. He's concerned for Jessica. Pete, it's that golden heart once again. And once they get past the introductions there, the subject of being a special nurse comes up with Claire, uh, to which she admits she is not. However, she keeps running into special. But hey, they can't change what and who they know worth just a quick observation here particularly as uh malcolm and claire go back into the bedroom so we have malcolm claire and luke here we have pete three three characters of color three actors of color and uh you know the sky has not fallen and and progress moves on but pete more importantly back to malcolm uh he wonders if he and claire are the sidekicks to these powered people and while that's laughed off, uh, he does say that, you know, they might not be sidekicks, but Jessica can still be a hero. Yeah, that she has it in her. Um, and there's the humorous response by Claire. What, what's that? Alcoholism. But the, the heroism that we all have this potential within us. Um, but this is a, a tough business. And... Uh, you know, they, they both need a break, and Malcolm is going to watch Luke for a bit. Indeed, giving Claire a chance to grab some Zs on the couch, and uh, the scene caps with Malcolm saying to the unconscious Luke, Man, if you got taken down, then we're in some serious stuff. Pete, do you remember Jerry Hogarth? She used to be in this show more, but she's in this episode now. How can you forget Indeed. the great Carrie Ann Moss? Uh, well, here she is, uh, at least Hogarth is, taking a call from Jessica, and there's discussion about uh, the remains of Hope's pregnancy having been part of Albert's experimental upgrade. Uh, again, Pete, I suspect that there was perhaps more involving that particular storyline that I, I suspect just kind of got cut to avoid some of the some of the unnecessary discussion about uh, you know connecting it to real-world events, etc., well, I had drawn attention to the stem cells in the previous episode, and uh, clearly that's where the connection is for this, and that Jerry has to be confronted that she was the one who submitted this to testing, but it was useless, right, Matt? Guess not so useless after all, Pete. Yeah, it made him stronger, and uh, Jaron here is, is caught at a rare moment where she's she's accepting the guilt that uh you know she doesn't know what else she has to do to pay for her mistakes she's bled for them she's lost everything pam is facing murder charges 
uh, her partners are forcing her out and it's Jessica that has to help her stand up. She says to fight them uh, that though Jerry is a sack of dark oozing stuff in a suit, she's still the best shark in town. And also she'll be representing Justin Bowden pro bono or what I like to call pro Bowden. <laughs> well, I, I suppose to be the one, you must be the other. Uh, the story moves to the terminal uh, where Justin's boat is docked, at least kind of that that wonderful, um, I don't know, anti-room to, to, to where these fancy yachts are docked. Um, Jessica the enters. The ferry terminal. Indeed, indeed. Jessica enters, at least so we think, headphones blaring. Kilgrave sees her from across the lobby, monologues again a bit. Uh, again, not a complaint, just because I think he as a character can get away with it. Then he calls for the hidden cops to present arms, and there are eight guns, all on Jessica. Jessica, I command you to show your face. But Pete, that particular command does not get uh, literally followed. Why is that? The bell goes off, and suddenly we realize it's Patsy. Uh, really, really nice reveal there, particularly, I, you know, I, I guess they're picking up from the thread from dad that, you know, don't make eye contact, don't listen to him. Um, I, again, I know that we're kind of in a pseudoscience area here for Kilgrave's powers. I don't know how the eye contact thing works within the idea that there's a virus that he's transmitting and it's connected, you know, and it makes you susceptible to the sound of his voice, but... Maybe it's just backwards writing. Put put uh, put uh, sunglasses on Trish. Then you can't tell it's Trish. But why would she wear sunglasses? Because Dad said so. I don't know. But here's what I do know, Pete. On the balcony above, almost Batman style, there is Jessica. Uh, she looks and the cops shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. The cops certainly uh, quick to fire here, Pete. Uh, then in a pause in the action, she, she leaps, nay flies, question mark over them and uh, makes it to the other side quickly locking them in the terminal yeah and to head out and suddenly trish grabs her before drawing her attention to a whole bunch of bystanders who are caught in the path between them and the goldfish yacht really really evocative scene those 20 or 30 people just waiting ostensibly for her i mean i don't think they they don't know that they're waiting for her but they've been told to wait courtesy of Kilgrave. um Jessica, one of them with a sledgehammer <laughs> yes and i kind of thought they overplayed it slightly like oh man construction guy has a has a sledgehammer behind his back no it's 20 or 30 people you you do the Kilgrave effect on any 20 or 30 people versus one person and and you know you're in trouble um but Jessica gives Trish some silent instructions that, you know, point at the eyes, point at this, hand signal. Um, and then Kilgrave tells the yacht staff to ready the yacht. Pete, something I know that uh, some, you, know, you say to your servants all the time. <laughs> yeah, before I have them start killing each other. <laughs> uh, which indeed is Kilgrave's order. And in that melee, Trish's headphones are knocked off. Oh man, Pete, Kilgrave's... Uh, Courtesies, Chekhov's uh, headphones are knocked off thing. Clearly going to be Chekhov's dealt with beats. in this scene. Chekhov's beats, yo. That's right. Pete, uh, they're not just any 
headphones to protect you from super powered mind controlling yeah, they're people. They're the Apple ones. <laughs> they're beats. <laughs> but uh, you know, Kilgrave mustering this enormous yell stop with again the the purple veins flaring. Um, it's a nice narrative flare and uh, he he falls into what I think we're clear most of the time is is Jessica's ruse um, you know that he's answering her questions that he's doing that she's doing I'm sorry what uh, what he's instructing her to do and to say um, is is effective and he's gonna call the bluff he brings Trish over and the discussion here from the aspect of raping Trish if she becomes the the one to go with him that she's going to be a plaything a slave that she'll be dying in her mind under um, Kilgrave's control that's the real twist of the knife for Jessica and I like that in these final minutes of Kilgrave as part of the story, uh, we're not we're not tiptoeing around, you know, the metaphor that we've been discussing all season, one of rape here, um, and, and that it's just it's just omnipresent here as the issue Jessica must overcome. Um, add to that Kilgrave saying he wanted her to love him, but she's only ever loved one person, which. Right. I don't think in the tension of the scene where we as kind of standard audience member are able to think fast enough that we're going to be calling back that I love you line. But Well, twice the word sister is used here, uh, that I chose the wrong sister and then refers to Patsy as the beloved sister. Yeah, and I don't know... Like, that's such an interesting word choice. I mean, they were certainly raised as sisters since since uh, the death of Jessica's parents. Um, I don't know if we're supposed to read kind of extra extra creepy stuff into it or just kind of Kilgrave saying, oh, she's the she's the better she's the better sister. Um, well, he is a creep. So <laughs> I think we're meant to read any possible way that he could be getting under her skin despite the fact he may have control of Jessica here is what he is looking to inflict. And then when he does think he has Jessica that I'm going to cast Trish aside here and, and I'm going to go to her. And he's so excited here by the prospect of Jessica loving him. And it's just amazing how he's able to switch out of being the abusive boyfriend, quote unquote, to kind of the wide-eyed puppy dog love, you know, boy man that he is, it, I, and none of that's a compliment, of course. He he's that he's able to switch so quickly just shows how profoundly out of control he is of himself. And it's Kristen Ritter here with the body language that totally sells this scene. He tells her to smile. She does, and to to break into this really luminous smile, despite the heaviness of the scene, uh, kudos for that. And then when he tells her to tell him 
uh, that she loves him to look past him and look at Trish and say, I love you before picking him up with the one hand and uh, telling him to smile and then snapping his neck. I felt that that moment was a bit of an anticlimax. This is not kind of the massive, uh, I don't know, fist out showdown, but I also you wanted felt- him to get his tongue ripped out of his skull. Like she suggested earlier in the episode. That's fine. You can say that. I, I did want something bigger. And I, w- I was initially in that, in that split second of saying, okay, broken neck, he's officially dead. And there's at least the implication that now as she, as she forecasted, uh, the people around them are immediately, uh, kind of, uh, release is washing over them. As this was happening, I felt relief wash over me. Surprisingly. So, um, I was, I was amazed at how much of a calming relief I felt seeing him dead. Um, despite the fact that not for nothing, it's the season finale. It's the big showdown. The show has said, you know, the show's given enough signals that this is it. Um, and to have prognosticated whatever it is, 41, 42 days ago that the David Tennant bad guy was going to die at the end of the season. Yeah, no duh. But I was still surprised by how relieving it was to see him finally out of the story. The narrative returns to Luke, who seems Pete to wake up just the instant Kilgrave died, or, or you know, an instant or so later. Uh, instead, it's explained to him by Claire that much time has gone by. Jessica has been arrested for killing someone. Oh no, it's under the control of Kilgrave. She's done this, says Luke. No, Claire explains she has killed Kilgrave. He wants to help but cannot. Uh, Claire adds that no one knows about him. The hospital, the docks, the cops. Everybody went crazy, Pete, that he's the least of their worries. Uh, Some guy who was in the hospital and then wasn't there anymore. Uh, Claire notices that Jessica and Luke, ding, are two of a kind. She goes to get him water. And when uh, she returns to the bedroom, Pete, he's pulled a Batman. He's gone. I like this scene between the two of them that they get to share some dialogue that there's the little bit of the misdirect oh that she's been arrested but it's for having killed Kilgrave and to to have him disappear for us to catch up with him in the next Netflix Marvel exclusive titular series Luke Cage is going to be an interesting thing Part of me hopes that's how the, like, this scene should be the very first scene in Luke Cage, um, and then he's gone, and you just kind of cut to, not her, but like cut to the empty room, boom, then you start the, you know, like, do the Netflix title card, do the Marvel title card, do the credits. It would just, it would tie things together really nicely, but, but Pete, speaking of that arrested Jessica... It's arrested development. Uh, we cut to the police holding room, a, a well-used set in this season. Jerry is there explaining how the police don't need to arrest Jessica. Uh, there's a whole legal story that could be spun. He ordered Jessica to kill him. Thus, he's killed uh, Kilgrave. Maybe it was something in the water, Pete. Maybe it was subliminal advertising, like that movie with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Maybe it was toxic <laughs> gas. They Live is the movie, right? Yes. 
We're a little thirteen episodes in here. We're a little loopy, but we're having fun. No glasses. The story fits though. Whatever it is that the police and and the prosecutor's office goes with, it will fit because it's a little lie uh, that sweeps everything away. In that lie of whatever they go with, the water, subliminal advertising, toxic gas, you can excuse the cops, the people at the dock, Jessica. All of this you can just make go away in, in some kind of group lie. And sure enough, Pete, Jessica walks out a free woman. Despite the fact that uh, Samantha there is is what she's uh, referred to as, says that, uh, you know, they could get the uh, blood alcohol um, ratings or, you know, whatever we're going to call it from uh, everybody there that they had gotten off a booze cruise that – Jerry brings it back to the cops who were uh, all compelled to shoot at her. Getting them on the witness stand is going to be the thing that makes or breaks it. And she's talking not just to Jessica uh, and the viewers, this idea that, you know, the same man compelled Hope to do what she did and to kill her parents. And as uh, Jessica and Jerry part ways outside the station. Um, we get this voiceover here about everybody's born a hero. Uh, but if you let it, life will push you over the line to become a villain. There's a hug with Trish. And then she receives the package from Dorothy uh, with the IGH files. And there's the idea of crossing a line. And if, Matt, if, because we still don't have a renewal for a second season at this point, if we come back, surely the idea of Trish, uh, the IGH research, the uh, combat enhancement, red, blues, and whites, the uh, Nuke Simpson storyline potentially could all be something we come back and culminate with uh, Trish possibly as Hellcat. We return to Jessica's apartment. Uh, indeed, as Jessica returns, her door is still broken and still locked. Uh, it's The apartment is battered, but kind of looks cleaner and uh, a little wandering around. We see that Malcolm is there cleaning up. Uh, Jessica barely nods a hello and sits to drink more, which I just thought was a wonderful um, little affect of the of the character there. Uh, she checks her voicemail. It's filled with what we can recognize our potential clients, all kind of people needing help, you know, sad stories. Um, she deletes and deletes, and we're meant to think, well, maybe she isn't a hero after all. Um, maybe she is, maybe, as the voiceover says, uh, if you try hard enough, you can fool yourself. With that, Pete, her phone rings, and uh, as the camera moves out through the hall, uh, we watching through the broken door. Malcolm answers, alias investigations, how can we help? The camera continues to pull back, and it's the end. I like that we begin much in the same way that we began um, her with a client at the beginning of the first episode, pushing him out through the broken window, now visible through the window, no longer opaque, Matt, and we, Malcolm there, kind of filling in essentially the Karen Page, the guy Friday now for Jessica Jones in her business. 
What suspects draw our focus in this episode, Pete? Let's start with the person that we have started with so many times before, Kilgrave. I was surprised how much of David Tennant we got in this season as a whole. They really played around early on with uh, showing us glimpses and, and just the suggestion of his presence to get as much in the middle to later parts of this season as we did um, certainly benefits. But when we up the game in this episode, giving him the rest of all of the serum that his father had developed and the ability to control everybody in the hospital, that's where I think this episode hit its zenith. And I was like, all right, they're, they're really going to, to test these powers, but never got back to the level of it. And I don't think that you could have the escalation of his powers and the confrontation with Jessica any other way than, than what she did. So as much as I was tantalized with seeing, you know, she had mentioned in the previous episode that he'll come over the radio and say, everybody in New York, go to the highest building and jump off. It could never be that way. And for her to confront him one-on-one. Certainly the scale of Kilgrave, uh, either intentionally or not, you know, he was a much smaller, uh, villain in terms of his influence uh, over the city, his influence over other bad guys, etc., than uh, than was Kingpin in Daredevil uh, before this season. Um, I just I like that we get to end this acting tour de force from David Tennant with that dual nature of Kilgrave, where in one sentence he is ready to to rape Trish over and over every day. Uh, but then the minute that there's this this glimmer of hope between uh, himself and Jessica, it's just that happy puppy love again. And you know, both are both are sides of the character that are equally distasteful. Yeah, I mean, it's a repugnant performance from an accomplished actor. I'd love to know who else was in the ballpark as far as getting this role. I can't see it being anybody else, though. Yeah, certainly. I feel like he's he was a get bigger than the character because of his uh, because of his acting past. Um, kind of similar to how D'Onofrio was kind of you know oh this is a veteran of you know TV and film that they've gotten for this kind of comic book TV show. Um, I, I, I I agree with you, Pete. I cannot imagine who was number two on the list after seeing just the range of, of energy and emotions that this guy brought to the role. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. Matt, let's begin with something uh, that is said early on in the hospital that Luke and, uh, by extension, Jessica, they are... Uh, one of those, they are one of them. Um, we talking again in humans, are we talking enhanced people? Are we talking weirdos? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's relatively clear, but the scope of what they're aware of is not. I think that 
if you imagine if you imagine Pete and Matt living in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, I think that there would be a general consensus out there that there are those those special people. But would we say special because then that makes us what unspecial? Uh, or does it sound like special in quotes and we're being, you know, we're kind of making fun of a disabled person. So we wouldn't say special. Would we say powered? Well, you know, I have powers too. And you have power. We all have things that are strengths and weaknesses. So I think that this kind of catch all of those people, it's, it's, it's a discussion that I imagine is going on by the normal people who we don't see in Marvel films and TV shows. Uh, because they're not that interesting because they're living normal lives, not, not, uh, extraordinary lives. Um, but I think that it's just kind of a catch all for the people that make suits and the people that are big, giant green monsters and the people who are like science experiments from the 1940s and the people who brought the aliens through the wormhole all the way down to, okay, so there's a guy whose skin is super tough. Okay. Um, Yes, uh, from the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. front, there's kind of increasing familiarity out there in the world of special-powered people and humans and so forth. But I don't think that we as viewers of the show need to say, Jessica and Luke Cage are a result of the things we have seen on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. If anything, they're trying to increase the distances between these shows, which I think is a smart decision to... It's like when you read a comic and you go, oh, wow, look, uh, Batman has a new uh, Batarang. And it'll say asterisk. And you look at the bottom of the box. It says, as revealed in Superman 562. And you're like, okay, I guess if I want to see the background of the new radio-controlled Batarang, I got to go read another title with another character where Star Labs gave it to... Like, that's a barrier for the audience. And the fact that things can be open enough to say, she's her own thing. Maybe you're aware that there's also a connection to Daredevil. Great. If you don't get that, it's just gravy. Yeah. And on the subject of special and and the number of different ways that you can become one of those within this Marvel Cinematic Universe to get later on in the episode, the IGH files that Trish is pouring over that she's floated this link to Jessica who says she's given up uh, a long time ago looking for how she got her powers. Um, even though early in the episode, she said it was an or early in the episode, early in the season, she said it was an accident that Everything there points to Simpson, points to the potential because Trish has taken these meds before and we've covered her past as having issues with substance abuse that would push her into that realm again as well. It It's an interesting route to go. I remember, I think it was somebody online at New York Comic Con, there was just somebody who's like, you know, Trish Walker, she's Patsy Walker. She's going to be Hellcat. And it was this like, ah, I already figured it out. I already figured it out. I don't know that we need to do that each and every single time. I think that as you're looking to populate a show about Jessica Jones, that's going to have Luke Cage because Luke Cage is going to have his own show. And the two characters are connected in the comics. You start to say, well, 
is Jessica going to constantly be with Luke? No, we're saving that for Defenders. Uh, okay, so Jessica needs like a best friend character to talk to because we're not going to do constant voiceovers. Okay, the best friend. Well, while we're talking about come up with a best friend, what do we have available to us that we could rework? I think that's the genesis of Trish Walker as a character in this show. And then they they use her as much as they need to use her. The fact that they then go to kind of the the character's past and the the it the patsy stuff that's just a little extra nod or that's extra like that just makes her a better character for this show i'm i will f- freely admit that we could have hellcat by episode 204 but i think we also could have episode 213 ending and going there's trish unchanged or there's trish killed off um but no hellcat no you know no spandex suit etc yeah, and the potential to branch in either direction is certainly a welcome one. I, for one, can't really see a situation where they would continue with the actress and not go further down that storyline. I suppose time will tell. <laughs> First, we need that renewal. Uh, but Pete, before we kind of conclude this, uh, conclude talking about the nitty gritty for this episode, um, just want to touch on that that Kilgrave death scene again. Uh, I explained before kind of my uh, my initial reaction to I wanted something bigger and more powerful. But as I thought about it between viewing and then podcasting, you know, here we have uh, in the news. Here we have a uh, a person of some some celebrity status, some uh, perceived power, who uh, was indicted only yesterday for sexual assault charges, and it it made me think that part of why that in real life was quiet for so long is that people were encouraged to women were encouraged to keep quiet about it uh, for a variety of reasons that that we don't need to get into because this is the fake Jessica Jones podcast, not the real, you know, let's discuss the Bill Cosby case podcast. Yeah, Our Cosby show uh, podcast is coming. Never. (laughs) But my point is this, those women, uh, and I understand there was the, you know, there were, there were legal mechanisms that prevented them from speaking up, you know, whether it was, uh, you signed the confidentiality thing or the, um, the, the amount of time has passed before you can formally press charges. But my point is this, that particular real life case has picked up steam and let's hope is headed towards justice because people spoke up and acted. Women spoke up and acted. And in this scene, we don't need lasers and earthquakes and, and, you know, Kilgrave turning into a giant purple Hulk and Jessica on the top of the empire state building, uh, ready to throw the spire and spear him. We just need her to be the woman that she is, to stand up for herself, to speak out, and to take action. That's not to say that all all uh, all, all people who feel uh, wronged in one way or another uh, should go and you know snap the necks of people. But that's what she needed to do in this situation was to speak up and to act and to take control of the situation and to stop letting someone else control her. That is an ending that I can. I can get around and I appreciate that they went with that as opposed to the big action set piece. I think, as I said before, it could only end the way that it did, that it would belie a false 
sense of intimacy on Kilgrave's behalf that here he's being the one manipulated, faked out. That's the comeuppance. And that he dies in her arms um, with the ill-gotten belief that he's finally gotten her and, and gets truly what he deserves. That's, that's the best dessert. Pete, one more time, let's check our mail drop. And here's what the people have to say. We have a note via our Facebook page from Robert T. Frost. And it reads, just a quick note concerning AKA Sinbin. It was noted that, uh, it was noted the Detective Clemens seemed to freak out during the episode. Can't blame him. He had been disarmed by Patsy and now he was handcuffed to a pipe as the whole situation goes to hell in a handbasket. He's trapped, can't leave, and has no weapon with him to, I'm sorry, with which to defend himself. The weapon Hogarth grabs on the way out belongs to Detective Clemens. I found it frustrating that it seemed that Hogarth was standing in front of Detective Clemens while Kilgrave's parents were in the chamber. The quote-unquote professional witness was the one stuck in the way, uh, the back in the cheap seats, uh, trying to see around everyone, especially Hogarth. I wonder if she was deliberately trying to interfere or just improve her view and be damned to everyone else? Question mark. I like his kind of in-story take of it. I recall that scene very well because it was like, come on, man. Like, we can't see Detective Clemens. This dude showed up. This actor showed up for work. He gets to be in it with, like, all the principals. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, but uh, Mr. Frost there has had me wonder outside the story. You know, the, in addition to... Jerry as a character and Carrie Ann Moss as an actress. There are also, you know, there's the director and all the other crew who are saying, stand here, stand there. Uh, they're the ones putting down the different colored masking tape on the floor. Hey, Carrie Ann Moss gets red, you know, whatever it might be. Um, point being, somebody had her stand there or somebody did not tell her to stand somewhere else while looking at a monitor to see that an actor was covered up in the background who's not an extra, who's, a, who's an important recurring character. If she's standing there on purpose blocking him and that was a decision made by the production, then it feeds back into the character end, and I really like that. If it's just a goof and like, oh man, we should have blocked it differently, then come on, how many people do you have looking into the camera, looking into the monitor to go... Oh, we can't see the guy that plays the detective. Carrie, could you move over a little bit? Um, I guess Pete, I guess we'll just wait for the Daredevil people or pardon me for the for the Jessica Jones people to call us and tell us. <laughs> yeah. Um I, I do like that it's not clear, that it's ambiguous. Um we know the the motivations that Hogarth was working with at the time. Um it's very in your face that she grabs the gun which 
you know, much is made in the in the follow up episode that she throws down and, and that she's so shocked that Kilgrave actually possesses these powers and can possess her. Well, hopefully she will be back in future seasons. I suppose time will tell. Maybe, nay, future Marvel series. Pete, we will be back for one more Jessica Jones podcast episode to kind of wrap up the first season. Uh, If there's no news of renewal in the next couple days, uh, then we will, of course, update the podcast feed uh, if there is a renewal, uh, whenever that might occur. So uh, with that, Pete, I guess we'll start to wrap up this particular episode. How can people be in touch with you on the Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-6,852 followers. Can't be wrong. While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be touched with the podcast in a variety of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That is Fantastic with the PH. You can find us under that name on the dot com, the Gmail, and the Twitter, but somewhere else, Pete. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word again with the PH. Like us today. And even though season one is over for Jessica Jones, it can be the place where, if you're just discovering this and want to uh, interact or debate, the place to go. Absolutely, we'll, we'll always be out there omnipresent for these TV shows. With that, Pete, I will say a penultimate adios from the Jessica Jones podcast to all our listeners and give you the final word. I love you.